You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So, Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Welcome to our couch. Take a seat. It's time for therapy. Movie therapy. I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture critic and co-author of How to Be Fine. And I'm Rafer Guzman, film critic for Newsday. In each episode of Movie Therapy, we offer up dubious advice and outstanding TV and movie recommendations for whatever ails you. As usual, our disclaimer, we are not real therapists, but we are real TV and movie critics. That means something. Right, Rafer? You can't take that away from us. No, you can't take away our license because we don't have one. <laughs> So, Rafer, let's get to this week's letters. Uh, I'll have you read the first one. All right. We're going to start off with a letter from Emily Lonely Hearts. And she writes, Dear Rafer and Kristen, I'm a 32-year-old woman, and I'm pretty normal. I have lots of good friends, a loving family, a steady job, and interests and hobbies that I enjoy. Yet, I've been single my whole life. And now, at 32, the pool of men seems to get smaller every year. I've watched my friends fall in love, get married, and start to have babies, while I can't even find a boyfriend. I'm not gorgeous, but I would say I'm pretty average-looking and exercise regularly. Every guy I date breaks it off after a few dates with some excuse. I know you can't help me find a boyfriend, but maybe there's a TV show or movie that might make me feel better. Please, no suggestions where the ugly or outcast girl gets the hot guy at the end. Oh, Emily Lonely Hearts. We are sorry that you're feeling lonely. Um, it's tough when you want love and it seems like it's it's not sticking. And I think we've all been there at some point or another that we've wanted love and it's just it's just not sticking for whatever reason. I, I mean, maybe not you, Rafer. Me, though, many, 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 many times that's been the case. <laughs> now, Kristen, you have been we've talked about this on the podcast before. You have been on many, many dates. And you have always said that uh, your dates always go outstandingly, that you're very good at dating. But I will tell you, um, I don't think I've ever had a decent date in my entire life. I think every date I have not, that's, that's not, that's not, the, that's not the, the woman's fault. I just think every date I have ever been on has just been a terrible experience. Oh my gosh. I, I'm laughing because I'm thinking about the date you went on with your wife when you proposed. You told me that story once. 
and just thinking about how terrible that date was. I'm like, and that's supposed to be one of the best dates of your life. And it was one of the worst dates of your life when you proposed. <laughs> well, that's at least that's at least different. That was that was with my already serious, significant other soon to be wife. That's a little different. I'm I'm talking about any time that I ever asked a girl out on a date and then went out on that date. It was always just a terrible, interminable, awful night. That's what I'm saying for the most part. Why do you think that is? I don't know, but I think, <laughs> I don't know. I just don't think I'm very good in that. I just don't think I'm very good in that situation. And I think some people aren't either. And I think the other thing is, and this is kind of what I wanted to say to Emily Lonely Hearts, maybe, and I mean this in the best way, maybe the problem is you. Maybe Ooh. you're just, you're kind of going out with these guys and you're not really feeling it. And, you know, you you think you're supposed to because, you know, you're of a certain age and we're all supposed to be, you know, hooked up at a certain point and you got to go out with a guy and you're supposed to, you know, do this whole dance. Maybe you're kind of not feeling it. Maybe these guys, I just, I, it seems, it seems unlikely to me that our listener is falling in love with these guys and thinking this could be the one. Wow. That guy's fantastic. I feel this strong connection. And then the guy just vanishes. I, I wonder if it's just, I wonder if maybe you're the one kind of thinking like, eh, look, these guys are kind of okay, but you're not that excited about them. Do you kind of know what I mean? Yeah, that totally makes sense, Rafer. It does. And um, I know that I was looking at the New York Times wedding announcement stats. Oh, yeah. And in their statistics, 32 is the average age for a woman to get married for the first time. Ah. And so... It makes sense that Emily Lonely Hearts, you're seeing your friends now the same age as you, you know, getting married because it's it's a very typical age, 32. Sure. But that doesn't mean it's the only age to get married. I was over 32 when I got married. So many of my friends were over 40 when they got married. One of my yep. best friends was over 60 when she got married for the first time. So there's no right or wrong age to get married for the first time. And Ray, for your point of maybe you're just going through the motions because you think that's what you're supposed to do because 32 is when people are supposed to get married. That might be true, but I just want to also put in a word here for if you really do indeed want to find love, to focus a little bit more on what you want, not what's happening around you, not your friends getting married, not your friends having babies, not your fear that at 32, the pool of men is so small. Um, by the way, the pool of men is not that small when you're 32. I got to say, if you're dating five <laughs> years down and five years up, oh my God, there are a gazillion guys between like... 27 and 37 for you to date when you're 32. Five, Christian, five years down. That's scandalous. Scandalous. <laughs> Shocking. Five years down. But <laughs> just think for a moment here about what you want. I just, I want to go back to that. Don't look at the externals. Don't look at what you think is the shrinking dating pool. Don't look at your friends. Look at yourself. I agree. What do you really want? What are the things that you're attracted to? Maybe you're attracted to things that aren't conventionally what we're told we have to be attracted to. Maybe in your heart, you realize, oh my gosh, I've only been chasing guys who are six feet and taller, who are only this race, who are only this weight, who are only this profession. And maybe when it comes down to it, in your heart, you're like, oh, I don't actually need those things. These are externals that I've been seeing other people chase after. These are things that society is telling me to like. Yep. For example, my friend Jolenta, who I host my show by the book with, her husband is half a foot shorter than her and bald. And she wasn't listening to convention. She was listening to her heart. And it's like, oh, I'm just hot for him. It doesn't <laughs> matter what the world tells me. 
Like yeah. what matters is what do I have the hots for? Who gives a damn if he's bald and short? Who made up the dumb rule that guys have to be tall and have hair? This is malarkey. And so when she listened to her own heart, she realized that a lot of the externals that she was obsessed with, a lot of those things that she saw as the markers of what she was supposed to be into, when she listened to her heart, it wasn't actually true. So maybe Emily Lonely Hearts, you can just spend a little time exploring what does your own heart want, not anybody else. I like that idea. So what what are you going to prescribe movie-wise to Emily Lonely Hearts? I am going to prescribe a movie I have wanted to prescribe about 8 million times since we have started this show, Rafer, The Great Bridesmaids from 2011, which I know you love this movie too, Rafer. Yep. And I'm sure so many people out here have probably already seen it, but in case you haven't, Bridesmaids is directed by Paul Feig. It's written by Annie Mamolo and Kristen Wiig, produced by Judd Apatow, and it tells the story of Annie a woman in her late 30s who has been selected to be the maid of honor in the wedding of her best friend Lillian, played by Maya Rudolph. The wedding comes at a time when Annie is at an all-time low. She had a business that failed. She's working a dead-end job. She's got terrible roommates. She's the booty call for a guy who doesn't respect her or even like her, played by John Hamm, notably, who's very funny. And she's feeling incredibly insecure about everything in life, including the place she holds in Lillian's heart, Lillian the bride-to-be. Here's a clip. Here's a friend standing directly in front of you trying to talk to you, and you choose to talk about the fact that you don't have any friends. You know what I mean. No, no, I don't think you want any help. I think you want to have a little pity party. Yeah, I think Annie wants a little pity party. You're an asshole, Annie. Oh, my God, what are you doing? You're an asshole. I'm life, huh? Life bothering you? Yes, I'm life, Annie. I'm life, Annie. Oh, what are you doing? What are you, Megan? You better learn to fight because life will Yeah? Life is gonna, I'm life and I'm gonna bite you in the ass. Ow! Ow! It's not me. Turn over. God! I'm trying to get you to fight for your shitty life. And you won't do it. You just won't do it. You stop slapping yourself. Stop slapping yourself. I'm your life, Annie. I'm your shitty life. Sorry. Nice hit. All right. I'm glad to see you got a little bit of spark in you. I remember first seeing this movie and being a little skeptical about it. There was a lot of hype. Oh, I remember you were. I remember. (laughs) And and there was so much hype over it, uh, too, you know, that this was going to be this big, this big thing, uh, you know, uh, Paul Feig, the the raunchy female comedy, can it be done? Um, And it was so funny. It was so funny. I got to tell you, my wife, (laughs) my wife and I probably once or twice a week, will have a short discussion where we'll say, do you think we could show Bridesmaid to the kids? <laughs> and then one of us will think back and we'll go, sure, sure, we can. And the other one will say, you know what? No, I'm thinking about it. We can't. No, we can't do that. At least once a week we do that. It's such a good movie. It yeah. is so, so, so funny. But I also want to point out it's not just funny. There are parts of it that are also just incredibly sad and yes. poignant. And tap into that feeling of, am I being left behind? Is everyone doing better than I am? Right. Uh, Am I in the wrong place in life? But you know what? Annie, our protagonist, is not in the wrong place in life. And in fact, if you look closer at the movie, you'll see she's not alone. Yes, she's single and in her late 30s, but the bride-to-be who's about to get married is also in her late 30s. Melissa McCarthy, who is one of the friends in this gang, she's in her late 30s and single. There are loads of people who are 
older than you are, Emily Lonely Hearts, who are single in this movie. Some are doing great. Some aren't doing great. And frankly, some of the people who got married in their 20s or early 30s are not doing great. True. Just because they got married on that timeline doesn't mean they're happy. It doesn't mean they like their kids. It doesn't mean they like their husbands. They have their own miseries to deal with, too. So, you know, just keep in mind, just because other people seem to be following a certain timeline or marrying a certain kind of person or, you know, doing other things the way you think they're supposed to doesn't mean they're enjoying it. You know, that's true. There's there's more than one way to enjoy life. And one thing I just want to end on here with Bridesmaids is that Annie, she is, as I mentioned, in a rough spot, not just, you know, professionally and emotionally and so on. She's in a bad spot romantically. And she has a certain idea of the kind of guy she's supposed to be with. Obviously, who wouldn't think they were supposed to be with John Hamm? Look at him. (laughs) Right. But the guy she ends up starting to develop feelings for by the end of the movie. And I'm not going to say there's happily ever after here. I, I I will let you come to your own conclusion. But by the end of the movie, the guy that she's starting to develop feelings for was never her type. He's not the right profession. He's not the right looking guy. He doesn't look like John Hamm. But in the end, maybe she realizes the thing that isn't what she wanted might be the thing that she will love the most. So there you go. That's why I'm prescribing Bridesmaids. That's a that's a, a great movie. I love Melissa McCarthy in that movie. Oh, so good. You feel that heat? She's so you feel good. that? Oh, God, she's so good. Yeah, great movie. I love it. But what about you, Rafer? What are you going to prescribe to Emily Lonely Hearts? Well, Kristen, I'm going to prescribe the kind of rom-com that I think Bridesmaids was basically trying to destroy. Um, it was... Uh, <laughs> I think I am. It's a movie from sort of the golden age of rom-coms, late 90s, from 1999. I'm going to prescribe Runaway Bride. Oh, my gosh. The great Julia Roberts. This is when she was on her run of rom-coms. She was America's sweetheart. Yep. She was starring in one romance after another, after another, after another. Yep. Yeah. And this reunited her with her pretty woman co-lead Richard Gere. That is right. And same director, Gary Marshall. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know, this is, um, well, I'll just explain the story. Most people probably know it. Um, but uh, uh, Julie Roberts plays a woman named uh, Maggie, uh, and she's famous in her small town for leaving one husband after another at the altar. She basically walks up to the, walks right up to them at the very last minute, turns tail and just bolts. Uh, Richard Gere plays a guy named Ike Graham. He's a New York journalist who writes a column. Uh, he's, uh, he, and he's looking for some material and he gets an idea for a column based on hearing about Maggie from some dude at a bar. And he writes this terrible, rather sexist column about Maggie without ever having met her. And then he gets in trouble. And to prove that he was right about her and not just libeling her, he has to go to her little town of uh, Hale, Maryland. Hale, Maryland. I feel like there's a joke in there somewhere. (laughs) Uh, And Maggie is on the verge of her next wedding to a nice guy named Bob, played by Chris Maloney. And the question becomes, will she actually go through with it? Will she marry Bob or leave him at the altar? And then there's also a third option. Will she possibly fall in love with Ike? Here's a clip. You were so lost you didn't even know what kind of eggs you like. Yes. Yes. Yes, that's right. With a priest, you wanted scrambled. With with a deadhead, it was fried. With the other guy, the bug guy, it was it was poached. Now it's like, oh, uh, egg whites only. Thank you very much. That is called 
Changing your mind. No, that's called not having a mind of your own. Maggie, what are you doing? You really want that guy up there to drag you up Annapurna for your honeymoon? You do not want to climb Annapurna. Yes, I do. No, you don't. Oh, Ray, for that cliffhanger of a question, who knows? <laughs> who knows who Julia Roberts might fall in I'm love with I'm just throwing it out there as a possibility <laughs> that she might fall in love with Richard Gere. Um, We're not going to say. <laughs> don't spoil it, Kristen. Uh, <laughs> all right, but you've hit the nail on the head here. This is a thorough, thoroughly uh, ridiculous film uh, in pretty much every way. Uh, I, I'm aware that nothing about it rings true. Um, the, the very first thing that drove me nuts about it was that... Um, Ike, the columnist, you know, New York columnist guy who writes for USA Today, a paper that is not based in New York and never was. They were always in the Washington, D.C. area. Why does he write for USA Today? Um, and I never really bought Richard Gere as a New York journalist. I never really bought Julia Roberts as a hardware store assistant. It just it doesn't quite jibe. Um and I don't know why this small town in Maryland just warms up to Ike like he's Robert Preston the Music Man or something. It just, <laughs> none, of it, none of it makes that much sense. It just doesn't add up. Um, but I still get a kick out of the movie because the runaway bride character is so interesting to me. You know, why does she do it? What's wrong with her? Can we as an audience still like her? And would you marry that person? Um, and one of the things that I kind of like about the movie is there's really a reason that each marriage doesn't work out. You know, you you meet the former almost ex-husbands and you kind of start to realize that, you know, that Maggie, this character, she kind of always knew she was making the wrong choice. She convinced herself it was the right choice. She listened to, I think, to your point, Kristen, she listened to all these externals, right? She, mm -hmm. You've got to get married. You've got to get married. You've got to get a guy. You've got to get a boyfriend. You can't be single. She keeps getting suckered by that message. And then at the very last minute, right, when she's really gotten herself into the hottest of possible waters, she leaps out and blows everything up and runs away. And I, I just feel like maybe for our listener, for Emily Lonely Hearts, uh, you know, you, maybe you stop looking at yourself as the victim here and ask yourself what you're really feeling about these guys. Mm. Are they that great? Or are they really guys that you just don't happen to click with? Um, and, you know, maybe one of these days you'll meet the right guy. Uh, just, just, just don't marry a columnist who writes completely defamatory stories about people <laughs> he's never met. Like, just another great example of how Hollywood never gets journalism right. But anyway, there you go. That's my recommendation. All right. So, once again, our prescriptions from Rafer, Runaway Bride from 1999, and from me, Bridesmaids from 2011. And now it's time for us to take a quick break. But before we do, do you need some movie therapy? Visit our website at RaferandKristen.com and fill out the contact form. You don't have to use your real name. And if you have not yet done so already, please join the conversation on our Facebook community. That's facebook.com slash groups slash Rafer and Kristen. There are hundreds of movie and TV fans there, and they're always so kind. They're so supportive. They give really sweet advice also. You know how last week we had the episode with the person who was the almost graduate and was feeling really forlorn about their college experience? There's currently a thread on the Facebook community now 
of so many other people sharing their miserable college experience stories. So join the community and see those stories and chime in yourself. Give people reassurances who listen to the show or just disagree with me and Rafer in our prescriptions. That's fine, too. (laughs) That's always fun. (laughs) All right. When we are back, we will tackle a letter from someone who is overwhelmed and procrastinating. You can spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and get more time to actually play the games you love with the IGN Daily Update Podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. You'll hear everything from Comic-Con coverage to the huge Diablo 4 launch. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update, wherever you get your podcasts. We're back with our second letter of the week. Kristen, you want to take this one? I sure will. We have another Emily in the house, Rafer. No kidding. But this is not an Emily Lonely Hearts. This time we have Emily Academic, who writes, Dear Rafer and Kristen, I earned my PhD two years ago and joined the faculty at a large research university. Although I have accomplished a lot to be where I am, there are times when I feel such fear and anxiety about the next grant proposal or journal article that I procrastinate by doing all the other kinds of work that can fill the day. Worse, I may stress eat or God forbid I'll clean the house. I need to use my time better to make progress towards tenure. What can you prescribe to help me put down the heavy burden of overwhelm, stop procrastinating, and approach projects like a boss? (laughs) Two two, uh, word choices there that cracked me up. One was overwhelm as a noun, which is real. That's a true thing. I had to look that up, Rafer. I didn't know that. That's right. That's (laughs) right. Uh, Proper usage there. And then also like a boss. Where did that come from? When when, (laughs) When did people start saying like a boss? I don't know Isn't where that came from. Is there a song about being like a boss? I don't know. I don't and there's know. so there are so many movies called Like a Boss, aren't there? I think that's well. There was the Tiffany Haddish movie. I think maybe was that the like was that Like a Boss? I can't remember. Maybe. Oh gosh. Anyway. Anywho. Yeah, we want you to be like a boss too. Uh, completely, completely. And listen, <laughs> you're uh, uh, Emily Academic. You are not alone on this. Um, everyone procrastinates. Everyone finds something else to do when you've got something in front of you that you don't want to do. Um, and it is kind of amazing, right? The things that you will do that you hate doing, right? Like like, like she said, clean the house, right? The, <laughs> no, one, yes. no one ever wants to ever do that. But that's when, that's when you know you're in trouble, when you're doing something else that you actually despise doing. That's when, that's when you know. I made a PowerPoint presentation the other day instead of doing what I needed to do. <laughs> Who wants to make a freaking PowerPoint presentation? That's bad, Kristen. Nobody wants to. And I did it. That's bad. Who? It's really bad. Yeah. Do you have, uh, do you have any, any tips about avoiding procrastination? I'm not really sure I do. Well, I think that what you said, first of all, Rafer, that we all procrastinate, I think that's something important to keep in mind. That's step one in helping with your yep. procrastination. Just to remember- yep. You're not alone. We all do it. Anyone who says they never procrastinate, I don't like liars. Go somewhere else. <laughs> Stay away from me and my family. You're clearly a problem. I don't like non-procrastinators. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other bit of advice I have is 
stop looking at the big picture and start looking at the little steps you can take instead. Don't look at the one-year deadline on that next grant application. Look at this one form. Today, I'm going to fill out the first of six forms, and then tomorrow, the next of six forms. Uh Maybe just set a timer for 30 minutes. Maybe just write 55 words a day, and I'll explain why with my movie prescription. Look at the tiny bits that you can bite off, and every single day, if you take a bite, eventually you'll get through it. So, Kristen, what's your prescription? All right. Well, I am nominating Capote, which came out in 2005. Sure, with Philip Seymour Hoffman. That was his big Oscar moment. Yes, it sure was. And I'm sure a lot of listeners have seen this, but if you haven't, Philip Seymour Hoffman stars as Truman Capote. We all know who Truman Capote is, the great American man of letters. Yep. And the film follows Truman Capote's years-long journey researching and writing in cold blood, which has been called the first literary nonfiction book in history. I don't know if that's really true, but it's frequently referred to that way. Sure. And Capote opens in 1959 with Truman Capote reading about the murder of a family on a farm in rural Kansas. He's reading the story in the New York Times, and he's fascinated, and he's like, I need to go down to Kansas. I need to interview the people in this town. I need to investigate. I need to learn more about this. I need to write a story about this. So he goes down there along with his childhood friend, Harper Lee, to investigate the uh, murders, to conduct interviews, to ingratiate himself to the people in the small town. And, of course, it takes time. He's a stranger from the big city. He's not like the other people in this town. But eventually, he manages to get people to open up, and he even begins to develop a deep and intimate and possibly problematic relationship with one of the murderers. Here's a clip. There's not a word or a sentence or a concept that you can illuminate for me. There is one singular reason I keep coming here. Truman. November 14th, 1959. Three years ago. Three years. Hmm? That's, that's all I want to hear from you. I asked you not to, ever. Hmm? This is absurd. Do you know what absurd means? I'm ready. I have a plane to catch. I found your sister in Tacoma. Maybe she'll talk to me about something useful. Please don't go out there. Hey, this is my work, Perry. I'm working. And when you want to tell me what I need to hear, you let me know. Now, Kristen, I'm just going to admit, I'm not, I'm not seeing clearly why you chose this for Emily Academic. <laughs> You're going to have to explain that one to me. All right. I, I was afraid you might say that, but but listen, here's how it all ties in. The story opens in 1959, but the book In Cold Blood wasn't even released until 1965. Uh-huh. That means Truman Capote was working on this book, on his research, on his writing, on his editing for over half a decade. It means Truman Capote was chugging away as his friend Harper Lee published her own hugely successful book, To Kill a Mockingbird, to his great resentment. It means that at the end of the day, he was writing the equivalent 
of only 55 words a day. Uh-huh. If you look at the word count of in cold blood and divide that by how many days are in six years, that means he was writing between 54 and 55 words per day. But he still did it. And you can do it too, Emily. Just as I said earlier, maybe it's setting that egg timer. Maybe it's saying, I just fill out one form today. Or maybe like Truman Capote, all you have to do is just write 55 words today and 55 more tomorrow and 55 more the day after that and 55 more the day after that. I love it. I love it. 55 words. I like that. There's a screenwriter. I follow a couple of screenwriters and uh, directors and filmmakers on Twitter. And um, one of them, I wish I could remember who because I I should do this guy justice, whoever he was. He said, "Um, just write three pages a day. Don't write anymore. Mm. Don't write more than three pages a day. He said, if you write more than three pages, you're overdoing it and you'll kill it. Double spaced, right? Screenplay format. I'm gonna, <laughs> I don't even know if that's 55 words when you think of the what's on a page. I guess it depends. Oh, yeah, that's true. They have those wide margins. Yeah, right. <laughs> like a lot of white quadruple space. Quadruple spaces, setting <laughs> yeah. the scene. But uh, I did think that was kind of interesting. And, you know, yeah, there you go. 55 words. I love it. That's a great. Uh, that's a great calculation. I like that. But Reefer, I want to know, what are you going to prescribe to our letter writer here, to Emily Academic? I'm going to go back to an old favorite, a movie that I always kind of considered to be the the last of the good old-fashioned Oscar winners. I'm going back to 2010, and I'm going to recommend The King's Speech with Colin Firth. Oh, yes, of course. Hello, royal watcher Kristen Meinzer knows the King's Speech. Of course. I know this very well. We would have no Queen Elizabeth if not for King George. Exactly. Who gives the King's Speech, and we learn all about him in the King's Speech. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. Um, Yeah, so if you haven't seen it or you're not familiar with it, um, this is the true story of the Duke of York, known as Bertie, who becomes King George VI, Right as England is entering World War II, um, Bertie, played by Colin Firth, uh, seems like a good person, a capable person, smart, charming, well-socialized, all the things you'd need to be a world leader, except for one thing, he has a stutter. And it's very difficult for him to get through a simple sentence sometimes, and um, when he's nervous, it's almost impossible. And this is the era of radio, and people like Hitler and you know Churchill are going to you know lead the, their respective countries by talking to their public on radio. This is the way you you lead a country back then. So Bertie has to go find a speech therapist, a guy named Lionel Logue, played by Jeffrey Rush. Uh, and Lionel claims that he can fix, if you will, the king's speech. And here's a clip. It'll be like mad King George the Third. Mad King George the Stammerer, who let his people down so badly in their hour of need. What are you doing? Get up! You can't sit there! Get up! Why not? It's a chair. No, it, that is not a chair. That is. That, that is St. Edward's chair. People have that carved their names on it. Chair is the seat on which every king is held and in queen, place by a large rock. That is the stone of Schoon. You are, are trivializing oh, you everything. You trivialize... I don't care you, how many royal listen assholes have sat Listen to me! Listen to me! Listen to you by what right? By divine right, if you must. I am your king. No, you're not. You told me so yourself. You said you didn't want it. Why should I waste my time listening to Because you? I have a right to be, oh, and I have a voice! Yes, you do. You have such perseverance, Bertie. You're the bravest man I know. You'll make a bloody good king. I 
love this movie, Rafer. Not just because I'm a royal watcher, but I just think that every minute of the movie makes sense to be there. Yes. They use the time so perfectly. It's so beautifully written, so beautifully edited. The lighting and the costume design is just perfect. You actually feel like you're stepping right back into time, right into that moment. And you can't help but cheer for Colin Firth in this. Oh my God, you just want him to be able to speak so badly in a way that will you know, touch the hearts and minds of his country. You want him to be able to. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, it's a great story. And um, and like I say, a true story. And it also has a little backstory um, that you may know. Um, but I've got a little bit of a connection to it because the screenwriter, uh, David Seidler, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um, he's an, he's originally English, but he grew up on Long Island. And that's how I got to interview him. Mm. Um, and he grew up with a stutter. And uh, I think he always felt like it was caused by the anxiety he felt about World War II as a kid uh, and leaving home during that uh, during that time. I think there were some other exacerbating factors. Um, I think his parents kind of didn't quite know how to deal with a stutter. Um, anyway, he grew up with a very bad stutter, and he was always fascinated with the story of King George VI. And he worked on this screenplay about it for years and years and years. He he even uh, wrote to the queen, to the queen mum, uh, King George mm. VI's wife, uh, got her yes. permission to write it, but she said, "Please not in my lifetime." Oh, interesting. Yeah, she was. She just felt like it was too painful, and she she kind of gave him this sort of tacit permission to write about it uh, after she died. And as we all know, it took her a very, very, very long time to die. And by the time that she did so, um, David Seidler uh, was in his 70s. And um, when he won the Oscar for the screenplay, he was 73 years old. Um, So it's kind of a remarkable story. And the other thing about David Seidler, I remember, is that... um, he overcame a stutter himself. He, he 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 sort of he didn't have someone who helped him or trained him like a speech therapist. He just he overcame it himself. He cured himself of his own stutter. And I remember being amazed talking to him uh, in the interview that he had no trace of it at all. And I kept thinking, is it going to come back because we're talking about it the entire time? That's all we're talking about is his stutter. But it, he was he was completely over it. Um, so I will bring this around to our listener. I promise. Here is why I recommend. This movie, I feel in a way like Emily Academic has a kind of a stutter. It's just, it's not in your speech. It's sort of in your life. You're starting, you're stopping, you get overwhelmed, you get nervous, you can't do it, and you don't finish. Uh, David Seidler, I remember, said he kind of spent a lot of his time just keeping quiet um, because he had this thing. And I feel like, you know, our listener, maybe that's what you're doing. You're, You're letting a mental block kind of get in the way of what you want to do and what you need to do. And like Kristen was saying in the movie, Bertie just has to take things slowly. He's got to, he's got to speak one word at a time when he's stuck. He just has to concentrate on it, power through, be patient take as long as he needs to take. And then he's got to go on to the next word. And that I think is what you're going to have to do. You got to break it down, power through focus and I, you can do this because like the stammer, I don't want to say a, 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 a stammer or a stutter, they're not real, but you can overcome these things. And I think you can do it, whether you whether you do it yourself or whether you go to someone for help, I think you can overcome this and solve this problem. 
beautiful prescription reefer. Beautiful. Well, thank you. It's a fun movie. And, you know, like I say, it sort of, it kind of takes me back to the days when the Oscars sort of still mattered. And there were films that would, <laughs> that would come out and sweep the Oscars and people get all excited about it. Uh, you know, so there you go. So just to recap, from Kristen Capote from 2005 and from me from 2010, The King's Speech. All right. We're going to take a quick break. But before we do... Thank you, everyone who's rated and reviewed us in Apple Podcasts. We're up to nearly 600 reviews, which is phenomenal. For example, Dynamite Blue recently gave us five stars and wrote, From a real-life therapist to the movie therapist. I love this podcast. As a person who listens to people's problems for a living, I tend to avoid advice shows, but loved Kristen from her other podcast, By the Book, so thought I would give it a try, and I'm so glad I did. Kristen and Rafer are so fun to listen to, and I've begun to look forward to every new episode each week. Wow, that is high praise. A real therapist. Yeah, a real therapist. Yeah, somebody with a license. I'm like, that's Rafer. <laughs> that's right. That's amazing. Also... Uh, I love the name Dynamite Blue. That's the that's the '80s thriller I never wrote. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna steal that title. Oh yeah, there's gonna be lots of like metallic miniskirts <laughs> exactly. and motorcycles. That's great. God, that sounds good. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah, little new order on the soundtrack. Boy, I'm gonna I'm gonna write that. <laughs> All right, stay with us. When we're back, we have our what should I watch next letter of the week. Hello, 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 everybody. We are back, and it's time for our What Should I Watch Next Letter of the Week. Rafer, who do we have this week? This week, we have Marissa, and she writes, Dear Rafer and Kristen, I like romantic comedies and reality TV, and my husband likes sports, fantasy, and sci-fi. It's very rare that we find a show we both love. But we watched Ted Lasso on your recommendation, and it was that rare show that was perfect for both of us. We loved the characters, the dialogue, the humor, and the soccer. But now we're at a loss. What should we watch next? Now, Rafer, I got to take my hat off to you for this, because uh, after you recommended Ted Lasso, when was it, like a month or two ago? Yeah. We've gotten so many letters just like this one from Marissa. I know. So many people are so in love with Ted Lasso. And don't know what to watch next. So I just, I'm going to point the finger at you and give you the credit, but also the blame. Look at all these yeah. patients we have now. We have yeah. all these new patients and it's all your fault, Rafer. Now, everyone, just just so you know, I think there is a new season coming in July. Yes. I think that's I think that's happening, right? So we've got, a, we've got some time. Yes. We just put the teaser trailer up on the Facebook community a few days ago. Yeah. So that's, that's good news. Um, but it's tough. I mean, that was it was it's such a good show. It's so good hearted. It's fun. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I can see how it'd be a real crowd pleaser for that whole sort of uh, kind of kind of any demographic. Like I say, it's me, my wife, my two kids. We all just loved it. We're all just waiting for that next season. Um, yeah. And I don't give a damn about soccer, but I just think he's so I don't think wholesome is the right word, but well, maybe it is. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. I mean, that's, you yeah, know, he's, I mean. Wholesome implies in some ways that he has no depth, but I think he has some real depth in him. Yes. You know? Yes. Um, he's very, very kind and he's very, very upbeat, but I think he's um, also more complex than what he might look like on the surface. And he's just, oh, he's such a great character. And again, as with the King's Speech, you can't help but cheer for him. I totally agree. I totally agree. 
So, Rafer, it's your fault we keep getting these letters. <laughs> I'm going to put you on the spot and make you answer first. What should everybody be watching next after Ted Lasso? Well, I don't know if this is going to quite fit the bill. Uh, it's not a show. It's a movie. It's an older movie. And I was thinking about it because uh, this listener said that uh, her husband likes uh, sports, fantasy, but also sci-fi. So I was kind of trying to find something that would fit uh, that and also her itch for a romance. Mm. So I went back to 1984 for Starman <gasps> with Jeff Bridges and Karen Allen. Man. Do you know it? I know the song Starman by David Bowie, but that's not what this is. I just want to no, sing the song Starman not... now. Starman. <laughs> okay, I'll stop. I'll stop. <laughs> You're always welcome to sing Starman, one of my favorite songs. <laughs> um, now, if you've not seen this movie, Kristen, you might really like this. Um, all right, I'll lay out the story quickly. It, it starts out in 1977, the year that we sent out the Voyager spacecrafts with the gold phonographic records on them we talked about that on last Ex week's episode i know i know yes uh, that's so funny yeah all the greetings sounds music uh and, and the and the you know sort of uh hellos and various world languages invitations to come to the planet uh well in this movie it turns out someone heard it an alien who decides to take us up on our invitation comes to earth and of course his ship is immediately shot down by the american military so this alien is not a humanoid creature he's more like a like a drifting ball of light. And so he floats his way into Wisconsin and floats into the home of a woman named Jenny and takes the shape of, out of, out of a lock of hair that he finds, takes, takes the shape of her dead husband, Scott. And this leaves Jenny with a lot to process. You know, it's sort of what's harder to believe that Scott has risen from the dead or that he's now become an alien space creature. But Jenny decides to believe the latter. And so she's going to help this new alien slash Scott, whatever he is, get to a rendezvous point where his fellow aliens will rescue him. And along the way, of course, Jenny and Scott might just fall in love. And here's a clip. I am sorry. I did awaken you. Did I sing a lot where you live? Yes. We sing. Did you ever get hungry? Empty here, like a, a car needs gas. Yes. This body has a terrible emptiness. This is called hungry. Yeah, and when people get hungry, they have to eat food. Eat. Yes, we must do that. We will stop at food station. You have hungry too. I'm starving. has everything. It has romance. It has sci-fi. It also has something that Marissa didn't ask for. It has that special E.T. feeling that I love so much. It's exactly what it is. It is it's adult E.T. That's all this that's all this movie is. It's your alien fish out of water story, the alien on Earth. Only he doesn't enter the world of kids, he's in the world of adults. And so there's a little more at stake. You know, that's a that's a colder, crueler, more dangerous world in some ways, but it's also a world where you've got romance and maybe a little uh, sexuality. Um, and oh. you've got this, oh yeah, I, I shouldn't have spoiled it. You maybe, can't but. hinky or panky with an alien. <laughs> they don't have the same parts as us. <laughs> but he's taken the shape of the dead husband. Oh. 
I think he's very complicated. You know, I think he's 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 very exact. I'm sure for an alien. <laughs> I'm sure he's very precise. Um, <laughs> he's not just overlooking stuff. Uh, and I think the real selling point here is uh, Jeff Bridges, who plays Scott, who plays the alien. He's just great. You know, he's in a human body trying to kind of look human, act human. His He kind of can't quite control his body the right way. He's trying to learn a few things and study humans and see what they do. So there's a lot of monkey see, monkey do humor here. Um, there's a line in this movie uh, that's kind of famous. Uh, I still use it to this day when Starman gets behind the wheel of a car for a first time and starts barreling down the road. And Karen Allen says, what are you doing? What are you doing? And he said, I watched you very carefully. Red light, stop. Green light, go. Yellow light, go very fast. <laughs> so it's a really fun movie. It was directed by, of all people, John Carpenter, uh, which oh. is very unlikely. But it's a John Carpenter film. And it's lovely and it's sweet and funny. Um, and I've always thought of it as a real crowd pleaser. It kind of makes you wonder what John Carpenter would have done if he had decided to you know, stay and slug it out in Hollywood. And, you know, instead, he kind of took his ball and went home after after some other movies didn't work out for him. But um, Starman's a real high point for him. It's a high point of the 80s. And it's a, it's a movie I've always loved. Wow. I'm going to have to check that out. I And I have Rafer been with you before when I've heard you say that stoplight thing. Is that right? <laughs> Yes, I've heard you say that before. I'm, I'm such a I'm such a corny generixer. What can I say? All right, Kristen, how about you? I know that you're 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 much more up on your television than I am. What what have you got? Well, there is a brand new TV show called Rutherford Falls, and you can get it on NBC. You can watch it on the free Peacock app. And Rutherford Falls comes with a great pedigree. It's the new comedy from the writers of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, The Good Place, Superstore. These are all shows, Rafer, that you and I love. Oh. And so it has a great pedigree. Sure. It stars Ed Helms as Nathan Rutherford. He's a descendant of the town's white founder, and he's obsessed with keeping his family's history and name alive. And it also stars Jana Schmetting. And I'm apologizing right now because I might be pronouncing that name wrong. She is a Native American casino worker who wants to build a museum to honor Native American history. Now, in their own ways, they're both trying to, you know, help their small town to not forget its cultural roots. But as the show unfolds, we come to see that the culture of the town is much more complicated than what the residents have been told or than what the leads ever knew. Here's a clip. And Lawrence Rutherford gazed upon the majestic valley and thus declared, this is where we belong. And so, in 1638, he brokered a uniquely fair and honest deal with our neighbors, the Minishanka, thus establishing our town. Now, the terms of the deal were laid out in this document. One of those terms was to honor the exact location the deal was made, which is why, a century later, both parties came together and erected a statue of old Lawrence, affectionately known today as Big Larry. Question. Did they make a statue of any Minishanka? Great question. And bronze was very expensive at the time, so they really only had a budget for the one. <clears throat> so, but if you're interested in Minnesota history, then I strongly encourage you to visit their cultural center, which is run by my good friend Regan Wellhead. Who? Hey, ta -ta 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 -ta, put that back, please. Thank you, Kristen. This sounds very interesting. 
possibly funny, but possibly also a little, uh, a little, a little touchy. I can see it hitting some sore spots. Yes, it's definitely cringy. I will say that <laughs> I've only seen two episodes so far, and I've definitely done some cringing. And um, I'm still trying to figure out. Was that cringe on purpose ah. or was it not on purpose? I'm still figuring it out, but I'm enjoying the figuring out. I'm enjoying okay. seeing where this is going to go. It's such a new show. I don't have that many episodes to speak to, but I'm still figuring it out. And who is actually the good guy here? Who is the bad guy? So many people are good but have screwed up. So many people look like they might be bad, but maybe they have some good things they want to do despite maybe wanting to do them for odd reasons. Um, mm -hmm. So it, it's a little complicated. On the surface, everybody kind of seems like Ted Lasso. Everyone's so nice in this multi-culty small town, but you scratch the surface and you start to see other things happening too. And that's part of the fun of watching it. And um, like I said, Rafer, I have cringed, and I'm curious to see where the cringing is going to go, though. So you're not oh. wrong about this being potentially touchy. <laughs> no, that's that's good. I really, I'm really interested in this. Uh, as I've said before, my my family and I have been fishing around for shows for a while since the since the end of uh, Ted Lasso. We've we're still running through every single Brooklyn Nine Nine and loving it. Mm -hmm. um, we finished the Good Place. We haven't finished Superstore because we're too scared to watch the oh, final the, the final episodes. Yeah. We can't. We just can't bear it. It's just hanging there in our in our <laughs> queue. Um, and uh, this sounds like it could fit the bill. So maybe I'll try to suggest that tonight and see uh, see if the kids uh, see if the kids take the bait. Oh, I I'll be curious to see what you and your family think of it. Um, just a note here, Marissa. I do want to point out to you. You said your husband likes sci-fi and sports. There. Are neither of those things so far that I can see in it? Unless you consider <laughs> casino gambling a sport, there's definitely that in the episodes oh, that I've seen. There you go. Look, look dudes love poker. Okay, yeah. great, great. So there's that in here. <laughs> and you know, you said you like comedies, Marissa. There's definitely comedy. There's what looks like might be the seeds of some romance in the first couple of episodes. I could be wrong about that, but I see the potential there. And you know, no matter what. It comes with a good pedigree, and I think that it might, in the Venn diagram of shows, cross over somehow with the Ted Lasso ethos. All right. I like it. Okay. So to recap from Kristen, Rutherford Falls on Peacock, and from me, the old 1984 movie Starman. And that's it for this week's episode of Movie Therapy. Therapy, 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 therapy. <laughs> therapy. That's me being like Starman going into space. <laughs> Is that what that was? I didn't know. I didn't. I was just rolling with it. Therapy, therapy, therapy. Monster truck therapy. <laughs> Thanks to everyone who wrote in. We so appreciate it. Please continue to do so. Reminder, you can always follow us on Twitter at Rafer Guzman and at Kristen Meinzer. Until next time, I am Rafer Guzman. Guzman, 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 Guzman. <laughs> and I'm Kristen Meinzer. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye.